And welcome back to Box Box Euros Edition. I'm your host, Alexi Vasita. And as always, I'm joined by Abdullah Abdullah and Jesse Parker Humphreys, ready to talk you through the first set of matches from the Euro 2022. What have you guys made of the tournament so far? It's been good. Tiring, mainly. But fun. I feel like I'm on, this is day four of five consecutive matches, all of which were in different parts of the country. So... We move. Yeah, it's it's been good. I'm tired in a different way because each game kicks off at like all the good games kick off at like 11 p.m. So like I watch like 30, 40 minutes, and then I'm like dead the next morning because I wake up with, you know early in the morning. So, but it is what it is. It's been fun uh, enjoying the tournament, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the second round of games. It's it's passed by quite fast already, hasn't it? I know. I feel like yeah, we're gonna blink and um, <laughs> it will be like over, and we'll be back in the WSL. But... Feel, oh god. <laughs> okay. I meant that in a good way. I'm just saying <laughs> it is going back quite fast. Um, but we had we had a good question from Amanda Oregon too to kick off the show. Who surprised you with the first round of game that you weren't expecting, and who underperformed? Jesse, take it away. I think France <laughs> to be the biggest surprise um, last night, both for me personally and I think the world generally. Um, that was quite shocking. And I think in terms of underperformed, I think the team I was most disappointed with is probably Denmark, maybe. Just I just felt like they really played into Germany's hands and... Um, I thought Germany were good, but Denmark made them look better. Yeah, I, I think I think France for sure. I mean, I, I I think we all knew they were good. We just didn't know what France we'd get. We would get the imploding France, or would we get you know the France that that showed up last night? And I think they they really showed up yesterday, and I think France definitely uh, performed well. I want to say that the uh, yeah underperformed. I think. Um, you, yeah, you've got to look at that. I mean, you look at the other results and you pretty much say, okay, fine, fair enough. There was were like, not even just expected results, but they were like, yeah, like Denmark. I mean, the way they lost, if it was a one 2 nil loss, fine. And you can, you can chalk it up to, you know, to, to, to whatever reasons, but just kind of the way they, they imploded that in that game, I think was, was, was quite disappointing. Um, so yeah, I'd say, I'd say, um, I'd say, I'd say Denmark. And even you could even make a case for Sweden, not winning the game against the Dutch, kind of the way they, they should have won. So I'd, I'd say, I'd say Sweden, maybe to a small extent as well. <laughs> I'm going to add in Italy to that as underperformers. Obviously, Jesse backed um, France not to get out of the group, and I backed Italy to get out of the group. So a bit of a... <laughs> and Alex was wearing an Ita- Italian shirt yes, last right. night at the game. So. But you know what? It's it's confusing because the reasoning behind my kind of hype for the Italians, because most of them do play for Juventus. And I think one of the things yesterday that really destroyed them is their poor positioning. Hmm. Like, it was so easy whenever Catoto would drop deep, Gamma followed her and just left an, an entire gap behind her, which is confusing because considering that Joe Montemurro was like such a positioning like master when it comes to Montemurro ball, it's like it shouldn't have happened. So that definitely, um, I mean, we're going to talk about it now, which hurts a little bit, but it was a bit, it was a bit um, disappointing of how bad, you know, I can accept maybe three, one, but a five, one was, was a bit harsh. Five goals in the first half. In the first half. That was, and a Grace Gale hat trick. I mean, 
Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to pick out some of the talking points game by game rather than going group by group. Um, so we're going to start with France, Italy, just because it feels really fresh in our minds, considering it happened last night. Um, France, five, Italy, one. France scored five goals in the first half. Italy scored their only goal in the second half. Jesse, do you want to start with this one? Yeah, this wasn't a good look for me. Um, I don't know. I should, I should stop making this game all about myself, but um, that's my ego. Uh, this was... This was shocking, really. I don't know. I think I think we did all know that there was, like, attacking-wise, at least, there was always the potential that France could do something like this. But I don't think I expected it to come against Italy. I think I definitely saw this as a game where, you know, we'd seen Italy play Spain, and maybe this says more about Spain than Italy, but, like, ahead of the tournament, they looked very, you know, organised, compact, um, against a team who I think, you know, Spain can obviously do similar things to what that France attack actually then went and did. So it's not like they were like playing against two massively different styles of play. But I kind of feel torn on on how much, you know, I think Italy were obviously bad, but you don't concede five goals in the first half. You're not bad. But I was really impressed by France. I thought, you know, Wendy Renard was like pinging all these like, inch perfect passes across the pitch which isn't something I like normally even associate her with and I was just a bit like wow this is <laughs> this is a team who seemed really up for it and I think you know it was always a bit of a question mark was how much you know this off-field stuff had affected them and it kind of like looked like they all felt maybe more together as a result of it or like at least it wasn't bothering them they weren't thinking about it and I think they certainly won't be thinking about it now because who cares about what players you've left at home if you've just smashed like probably the strongest other team in your group 5-1 and Abdullah as we suggested in our previous episode Corinne Driak opted not to play the PSG front three and use Delphine Cascarino on the left instead of Sandy Baltimore Seemed to have worked out pretty well for her. What do you think? Yeah, no, I was I was a little bit surprised myself when I saw uh, Cascarino start on the left. I thought Salma Basha would start instead, you know, on the left being the left footer. But I think at the end of it, it worked out because um, kind of the way Cascarino dropped inside and maybe even dropped deeper, it just gave all the space for Kershawi to, to overlap and really play and play out on those wide ears and give her all the space to kind of run over. Uh, and overlap and, 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 you know, a couple of the goals, a couple of the assists came from uh, Kershawi cross. So, you know, in that sense, I think, it, I think it definitely worked. And you even got a Cascarino uh, belter from, from just outside the box. So I think overall that, that that's actually worked. I don't know if it will work in a game where teams with better positioning will, will, will because I think, uh, um, Guigliano, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but the DM, the number six for Italy, um, is a bit more of a of a playmaker than an actual defensive defensive midfielder. I think that is where I think France did well because of Katota being able to drop Saragama following her. It kind of opened up the space for Cascarino to kind of cut inside and maybe drive through and and, and shoot. So I think the whole cohesion between the front three and the midfield. I think that that worked well. I'm still not 100% convinced on the defensive midfield position with Bilbao. I, th- I still thought she was a yard slow at, at times uh, against some of the players, but it worked in this game. So I'll be interested to see how that works going forward. But yeah, the cascarino karshawi link-up was, I think, really, really good. And what I think what bothered me the most about that Cascarino goal, it was after... So I don't, I don't really understand what... Cristiani Girelli and Barbara Boranza were doing at the top. Like, I don't really understand what formation they had because they were just kind of floating everywhere. 
But then when they drop into a defensive shape, it kind of looked like a 4-4-1-1 kind of thing. Like, it just made no sense. But then Barbara Buransea was part of the four that was supposed to be helping defend that wing. And how it happened was Barbara Buransea got the ball, dribbled inside, ended up kind of at the halfway line, like in the middle, in the center circle. And then obviously France attacked down that right hand and she was just busting her ass to get back. But when she got back, they kind of doubled on... Um, it was in Cascarino, who was a fullback? Um, yeah, Karchawi. So they doubled up on Karchawi, and then obviously Karchawi gave it to Cascarino, and she was able to cut into space and kind of shoot. So that just goes back to saying of how questionable the Italian positioning was. Was that that goal was just a, a chaos for the Italian defense in just terms of positioning and stuff? But Jesse, Grace Gayoro became the first woman at the Euros to score a first half hat trick. Anyone had that on their bingo card? Um, how good was she? Yeah, when uh, when she scored the third goal and Alex said to it was like, that's Grace Keogh's hat trick. I was like, what? I don't know if that was just because I was a bit like, had lost track of what was going on because there were so many goals, but I, I had not twigged that that was happening. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Alex kind of touched on it in terms of, I, th- I thought Katota was really, really good and her movement really opened up the space. And, you know, I guess we talked a lot about the, the PSG front three, but maybe that was like the real PSG link up that we actually saw excel because it just felt like they were both so aware of where the other one was going to go and and what they could both offer uh, in terms of kind of that attacking threat. And yeah, I'm I'm really gassed for her because she always like seems like a really nice girl as well. So I think it's cool to see this French team where we often talk about maybe like, yeah, the fullbacks and the wide players. Um, I mean, you, you know, the, the midfield was the question mark, right? And then suddenly you've got Gayora propping up and scoring three goals. So there we go. They fixed it. The French team basically just said, at box, box, at Jesse. <laughs> Fuck you. At everyone. <laughs> this is for you. Um. No, but we'll we'll touch on Italy a bit, Abdullah. And um, how did Italy come back to this? Do Italy come back for this? Because obviously, next up they do have Iceland, which seems like that will be the match to kind of decide for the second place. Of course, um, Italy Belgium could well be the second place decider as well. So, you know, they they can't really lose these considering the the great goal difference that they got against France. So, do Italy come back from this? Yeah, I I, I think. I think this is going to be a wake-up call for them more than anything else, and 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 I think that they they know that they basically have to beat Belgium and they have to beat Iceland if they want to go through. There is no room for error uh, at all coming into this. I think I think they will short up a little bit. I think that, but I think that they'll also have a little bit more freedom in terms of their in terms of the the spaces they'll have to attack. You know, Bonantea, Girelli, and and the lot. I think they'll have more you know, more luck. I mean, if you go back to the second or third minute, if Bonansea puts that one-on-one away, it's a different, it could be just a different game altogether. Right. So that, 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 you know, there is some, that is something to talk about where it was, it was great goalkeeping, but if Bonansea puts that away, suddenly, you know, it's pressure on France to come back and, and then, you know, maybe they could have well won one at four, one or three, one at the end of it. But, you know, I think, I think Italy would have gained more confidence from scoring that first goal. Um, yeah, I think I think you know playing against Iceland, they're a tough team. They'll they'll make it really really difficult, and I think they'll, and I think they may have another issue on the counter attack again because Jon's daughter and Co are are so quick on the break that they're going to have to be careful of their positioning again. Yes, they'll have more freedom going forward this time, 
and maybe have a little bit more possession, but it's behind where they have to um, where they have to 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 be careful. I think I think maybe Belgium will be a uh, will be a little bit harder, and it's not one you want to have as your last name of the group. But uh, yeah, I think I think I think we I think Italy can come through, but it will all come down to I think this this game against Iceland. We'll see how wrong we are at the end of this group. <laughs> but let's switch to Group C for the matchup between the Netherlands and Sweden that obviously ended 1-1. Now, this always looked like it was going to be a very tasty meeting between the two, and Sweden will probably go away being the most disappointed out of this. Um, Abdullah, there has been some suggestion that Peter Gerhardison, I'm going to assume that I pronounced that right, because why not? Um, it's, it's assumed that he played it maybe a bit too safe with his lineup. Uh, what did you make of it? You know, I don't know if he played it safe because I mean, if I look at that starting eleven, you, you know, you have Rolfo and Aslani, who are both really good attacking players. Okay, usually you'd see Anderson, uh, sorry, Ericsson as your left wing back, and instead Anderson played there. So I think that in itself was more of an attacking move. Uh, and then obviously the midfield is 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 the midfield. I think the only only kind of maybe change I would have made. And I think this was more forced because of the fact that um, because of the, because of the fitness of Stina Blaxenius was maybe Lena Hertig, but no, I, I don't, I don't think it was entirely, um, entirely safe. I, I thought I, I, if anything, I think this is probably the closest to the first choice 11 that, that he'll want to play. Maybe the exception of Blackstenius coming in for Hertig as, as a front three. And I think if that happens, uh, there'll just be a lot more fluidity in the front three. And I think we'll see a lot more of a fluid Swedish attack, Swedish front line, because there were so many times in that game against the Dutch where the balls were going through the channels through an Anderson or an Ericsson drive forward and playing it between the fullback and the center back. But because of Hertig's pace, there wasn't enough. There was no pace and there was not enough running down that title. Whenever she, you know, she did get into the channel, it was just a, maybe a yard or two too slow. And then, you know, the Dutch had time to kind of reset and, and kind of maybe block the, uh, block the, block the shot, block the next pass, um, you know, but maybe, maybe up against uh, a team that maybe will, will want to have a little bit more possession uh, that maybe her take will be a little bit more of a, a useful, uh, useful player. But I think, I think it's pretty much the team that they want to play minus, um, minus Blacksenius. Yeah, that is fair. Blacksenius did, make the difference when she came on potentially playing a bit better with the styles of Rolfo and, and everyone else um, and no offence to the Dutch and no offence to you Jesse but Anik Nouwen obviously had to come off but Anik Nouwen and Stefan de Graz are quite slow at pace um, so it, it was a bit shocking when you have Alina Hurtig who's quite static um, in kind of terms of movement and stuff. But Jesse, in the first half, Sweden felt like they were on top of the Dutch, but they couldn't seem to turn the pressure into goals. What did you make of it? Yeah, I thought like Lena Hurtig was was really good. And I think the thing with Blackstenius is I don't always know if the Swedish players want to play how she wants to play. So I think, you know, when you watch her with a player like Miedema, ironically, who can put those balls in really quickly as channels, I don't know if Sweden quite have the same players to be able to do that. And I think Lena Hurtig does kind of suit them more at points in terms of being able to do more of that kind of technical hold-up role, which I think works really well with players like Rolfo and Aslani. Um, I thought Rolfo caused Netherlands like quite a few problems in terms of like drifting centrally. But I think the problem for Sweden was... It didn't really feel like they did enough to push Jonna Anderson higher up the pitch, maybe aside from the goal. Um, 
you know, it felt like you saw Hannah Glass like really getting up and, and kind of creating that overload with Aslani. But I guess maybe because Rolfo was coming a bit more centrally, Jona Anson then didn't have that same player ahead of her. And I think if they'd been able to make those quicker switches of play, again, like they did for the goal, they would have been able to kind of move the Dutch around a bit more. Um, I think also it was a bit weird that like when Sari van Vindel went off, like they didn't just kind of help balls at the goal. I don't know. You've got this like goalkeeper coming on. He's like 22 and had one cap. And I was kind of disappointed that Philippa Angordal didn't get forward a bit more. Like we know she's got a really good long range shot. We know she can make the difference kind of from the edge of the area, but it felt like they were so worried about that kind of Dutch attack centrally that both, I mean, Caroline Sega was obviously going to like stay back, but Angordal was like quite reserved as well. And I think as the game went on, that just kind of allowed the Dutch to grow in confidence because they weren't really getting overwhelmed by Sweden. You know, it didn't feel like Sweden were like carving them open at any point, despite that, the amount of kind of technical forwards they had on the pitch. Yeah, I think that midfield battle was definitely won by the Netherlands. Mm. So they had to resort to that the outskirts, but it felt like they didn't really use it enough. And I would say the same for the Netherlands in terms of, um, you know, Lindvilms didn't really throw, there was a lot of runs made from centre forward into the space behind between Magda Eriksson and Jona Anderson or on the same on the other side. But Abdullah, the tide started to turn in the second half and Joe Ward equalised for the Netherlands. Go on, Joe Ward. <laughs> we love Joe Ward. <laughs> um, what did Mark Parsons change to improve his team? <laughs> I think it was a good change at halftime. I think I think uh, the, the the best thing I think the main thing was when he moved Gil Ward into a bit more of a central role than than a wide role, and then you had someone like Viv Miedema kind of then allowed to kind of drift outside and kind of come back and play that free role. I think that helped because then the minute you have someone like Gil Ward who's so used to playing in the middle and able to attack the centre backs, because of the fact that there was space between the wing backs and the and the left and right and the sided the two side wide sided centre backs someone like Viv could peel away and kind of take up those areas and kind of run through those channels and you have someone like Jill Ward who can then run through the two center backs when you've got uh, Miedema kind of occupying that space over there so I think that was the major change and that's what um, allowed the Dutch to kind of kind of come back into it because for the most part you know Sweden in the first half used Ericsson as the left side of center back and obviously Anderson plus whether it's the left winger and then one of the midfielders to kind of come in and then kind of create a 4v3 wide overload on the left hand side but so to counteract to counteract that they were like okay if you're going to do this we know that there is going to be space behind when we counterattack. so it was about getting the ball back counterattacking, and then using someone like Viv to kind of drift out wide when everybody's in the in the central area in the beginning and then force Sweden to go middle and then use the you know the spaces out wide and then be able to switch play and then kind of cross it in so I think that was was really really important and and was probably one of the main reasons why they were able to come back and and, and kind of you know get that one one draw. What I found interesting about that change was obviously Daniel Vanderdonk would go on the right wing in place of Joe Ward, so they just kind of switched. Um, but then then Vilms on that side didn't really play Dan into all the space that she was running into. But then when Victoria Pilova came on, which might I say that was a, a good sub. Um, Linville would automatically start sending the balls down that wing, which Victoria Belova did, I mean, really well to get onto the end of it and, and had a few crosses into the box. But it was it was just weird how both players were essentially doing the same thing, but only Pilova would get those balls into space. So I don't know what happened there. Um, 
But then, yeah, that was that was quite interesting in the sense that I thought Dan was doing well in the high press, but obviously they changed tactics and Joe Ward would go into the middle. But then Dan also shifted towards the middle just naturally, which was a bit confusing. I don't know. It was, it was all confusing, but I obviously it did work a little bit. Um, but it was interesting to me because I thought the way Dan works in the midfield lets Shakirun and Chidi Pizza have a bit more freedom. Whereas Joe Ward doesn't really press that high or get the ball back as often as Dan does. So then you saw Shaka Gudrun and Shady Espita have to do a bit more defensive work um, overall. But it worked out for the most part, I think, maybe. Um, but Jesse, have we underrated the Netherlands? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a bit. I think what's kind of stood out to me in this game is how much tournament football can kind of depend on how your players kind of rise to the occasion. And I think what we saw with this Netherlands team was a lot of players rise to the occasion. You know, um, I thought Sheridan Spitzer was great. I thought Jackie Gronen was great. And I think, you know, they're two players who say in the the 5-1 defeat to England, just they look totally, like it was like watching two different people on the pitch. And I don't know whether that's, you know, just the time thing, like Mark Parsons in his presser after that game was like, look, we're like really early on still. Like we're just, we've just come together. Like if it's not clicking, you know, that's kind of why. Definitely on that like evidence, it it felt like that was the case. Um, I also wonder if, I mean, I don't know how long Anik Nouwen is going to be out for, but I also wonder if having to play Dominique Janssen in central defence might be a bit of a blessing in disguise because I just think she's so much better there. I don't know... And an upgrade on Anique, in my opinion, maybe not forever, but currently. I wonder if that also will kind of shore up their defence. And given that the problem we thought the Dutch were going to have is that they were going to concede a lot, that if you kind of have that accidental thing to happen, and equally, the 22-year-old goalkeeper looked a lot better than Sari van Vindel. So suddenly you're looking at this team and you're like, Maybe Mark Parsons was just like kind of picking the wrong lineup, but like fate is going to make him pick the right one and they will be better. I do have to agree with, with Dominic Janssen looking better in the centre just because when Dominic Janssen was out on the left side, Lika Martins had to do a lot of her defensive work, which is kind of, you know, you don't want Lika Martins to drop in so deep and then not have an outball to play out her on the wing, knowing how well she can A, either dribble into space or B, hold up the ball and just start playmaking from, from that position. Um, but it was, I just started laughing every time Lika Martins had to do Dominic Janssen's um, defensive work, which was quite funny. Um, but we'll move on to Group B where we probably saw the most impressive performance of the tournament up until France last night. Um, and it wasn't Alexia looking sad in her baseball cap. I was very <laughs> sad watching that. Um, but it was Germany thrashing Denmark 4-0. Jesse, how surprised were you at this performance from Germany? And how surprised were you at, the, at this performance from Denmark? Yeah, I think it was um, a bit of six of one, half a dozen of the other, to be honest. I definitely think... Denmark really played into Germany's hands, but I don't want to take away from Germany because I think also the reason Denmark did that is because Germany executed their game plan really well in terms of being able to kind of shut down Denmark's wingbacks, um, basically mark Panilla Harder out totally out the game, you know, stop her from dropping deep to pick the ball up and running. And then that kind of forced Denmark into errors. I mean, some of the errors the Danes made were just like really quite bad. Uh, And I think that kind of tallies with maybe what we thought about this team, which is, you know, one 
which has potentially over relied on star quality. So, you know, you look at maybe like an Iceland or something or a team who maybe don't have that same kind of obvious big star and they almost feel like more of a unit than this Denmark side who I think at, at points don't really feel like it feels like it's also based around harder. They don't, they don't really know what to do when stuff isn't going their way and she's not getting on the ball. Um, but yeah, I thought, you know, Lena Oberdorf, I thought was, was excellent for Germany. And I think you really saw kind of the amount of different attacking options that they they had like it really I think we've talked a lot about like England's bench and the benefit that can have but you know in this game it really felt like there were kind of two phases the first where Germany went 2-0 up and then kind of later when they brought their subs on and kind of really pushed home you know their, their two second goals were scored by Lena Latvine and, and Alex Pop who both come on a substitute so I think that really like yeah kind of hammered home how how much depth there is in this Germany squad which we knew um yeah, I think the only like slight worry will be uh, Lena Oberdorf's yellow card count because I think she's so essential to this Germany team and if she has to miss a game, it could be, that could be curtains. I think she just get yellow cards now, miss the last group stage match and then just get it over with. Um, why not? Um, but Abdullah, it feels like two of the teams who have been, who have looked the best in these opening round of the matches are the two teams who weren't necessarily being hyped up as much in the tournament. Do you think that lack of pressure perhaps helps Germany and France out to get these results? Yeah, I think, um, you know, not being talked about and just kind of being told in kind of being thought of as like, yeah, you know what, you're good, but there are, you know, potential issues and, and there's a problem here and then there's problems there. And then suddenly, you know, you're like, you're looking at him without like with the expectation of, all right, let's see what you can do kind of type thing without really being pressured to, to kind of have to win. I mean, you you kind of look at the you know, the England-Austria game, which we'll get to, you know, in a minute, but they won 1-0, but there were, there were a lot of chances for England to score. Like England could have easily scored like two, three goals and made it like a 3-0 win, but the pressure of the crowd, 60,000, 70,000 people, the occasion, I think that was, and I, th- I think it was said that the, the, the nerves, were, nerves were there. Um, so when you've got, you know, teams like Germany and France who've kind of come in and, and there wasn't like this huge expectation on them to have to kind of perform, uh, you know, to, to, to maybe that extent, I think has definitely helped. And they were able to play a little bit more of a free game. Now let's see how this works out in the next games because now they're going to get hyped up because of the way they've performed with a 4-0 and a 5-1 victory. So if they can replicate this in their next couple of games, then uh, it'll be interesting to see how how the dynamic changes at the end of the at the end of the you know the group stage rounds because then it becomes very much of you know uh, have have people's you know perceptions and, and predictions of what they were before the tournament how much of that does it change after the group stages and then does that change the pressure on these teams who weren't pressured before but now are and maybe vice versa for the other teams so I think that's an interesting dynamic to look out for. I am sad that the group stages are going to finish, but I am excited to see every single team in the knockout rounds because mm-hmm. I feel like that's just going to be a whole another tournament, uh, which should be fun. Um, Jesse, Denmark will know that the nature of the group means that their chances aren't entirely over yet. How do you think they might fare against Finland and Spain? Yeah, I actually think this has been true across all the groups. Um I mean, maybe with the exception of Group A, where things have kind of gone to plan, but we might kind of see something more exciting tonight around England-Norway. But 
the results all kind of feel like they've left stuff open, whether it's that it doesn't look like first is decided or whether it might look like first is decided, but it feels quite open in terms of playing out for second. And I think the fact that Denmark say no, that, you know, Spain have to play Germany, they all feel like if they get a win over Finland, then you kind of get a straight shootout like with Spain and in that last kind of game, uh, goal difference, um, depending potentially. And I think... I still think Denmark have the capability to do to do well and potentially get out of this group because, again, the the Penilla Harder effect is so strong. And I think we always kind of earmark the Spain game as being potentially the one where, you know, she might be able to get the most joy just because of the nature of the way Spain play. And I think their defence feels a lot more open than... Germany's who I think knew that they were like, we really just need to lock this down and we'll kind of rely on the speed of um, Clara Bull and, and Svenja Hood to, to allow us to kind of pick Denmark off on the break. Um, it, it, they didn't actually really need to do that in the end because of the nature of the errors Denmark made, but you could kind of see that they they felt very focused on being like, right, like let's have a really good base to defend on first and foremost. So yeah, I think the the Finland game will be interesting for Denmark because I actually thought Finland were quite impressive against Spain, like maybe not defensively, but, um, you know, I think they definitely showed that they had a plan and they enacted parts of it quite well. And I feel like they probably can do the, Spain, the same against Denmark. But yeah, I feel like this group feels very open still. For the record, I just want to say that Jesse is wearing a, a German kit right now. <laughs> <laughs> so... Make of that what you will. <laughs> um, but Abdullah, we have seen two good sides kind of capitulate in these early group games. Do you think Italy and Denmark struggle from having less players who play in really big club games as compared to France and Germany, for example? I don't think entirely no. I think I think it's 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 more about the I think it's more about the fact that the players that kind of play together I think I think in France and Germany you see that a lot of them play for Lyon PSG Bayern and Wolfsburg and they're condensed into that one like you know two maybe one two clubs for the majority of the team and so you know we talked about a little bit earlier where the um the front three of the PSG front three and for France because you know I, I think Alex touched on it like because they knew where they were going to be, it just made life a little bit easier to be able to, to kind of know, okay, fine, if, if Katota's going to drop here, you know, you know, Kash, Kashawi can go here and someone can go there. So I think I think it's more about having that that chemistry together and, and, and doing, I mean, you even look at, you look at England, a lot of them playing the WSL, you know, for the top three clubs and, you know, one or two here and there. So I think it's more about being, having the players that play together. I think Italy with the exception of maybe a few of the Juventus players, the rest of them are kind of spread out across like a Sassuolo and Inter, Aroma. And there's like four or five, six different clubs, you know, building that Italian team together. And with Denmark, it's the same thing. Penny Lahada plays for Chelsea, but then, you know, you've got other players playing in other parts of Europe and all that. So I think it's more about, um, it's more about how many of them play together, uh, rather than the big clubs. And yes, obviously, when you're at a bigger club, you get better resources to better tactical advice and intelligence and you grow that way. But I think it's the chemistry of playing together and knowing where you are uh, at a at almost a weekly basis that I think helps more. Yeah, I think that's quite fair. And again, I was quite disappointed with Italy considering most of them do play together because we, as we did, like we speak about Portugal as well, they don't play for big clubs, but they all play together. 
Um, and you saw kind of the benefit of that, obviously. I sadly missed that game and I'm really upset about it because it seemed like such a good game. Um, but we'll stick in Group B for Spain 4, Finland 1, where we all thought we might see an exciting upset and then basically Mapi Leon decided otherwise. Sounds about right. Um, Jesse, Finland decided they were basically going to pump long balls in between Irene Paredes and Mapi Leon and have runners try and disrupt them. And it kind of worked on a number of occasions. Is this a blueprint for other teams, maybe? I think you definitely saw that Spain looked quite uncertain about dealing with that style of play. And I think, you know, against a Germany, against a Denmark, there are players who will be able to get in either in between Paredes and Leon or around them. um, And they won't be so kind of like, I don't even think Finland were wasteful. I just think they didn't necessarily have the ability to turn those kind of, you know, aside from obviously the first one, but to turn those one-off chances into goals. Um, But I definitely think other teams should look at that and say, you know, this is a way that we can get Spain. This is an area where Spain look quite nervy. I think the problem that Finland then found is, of course, if you do that, you're basically giving the ball back to Spain every time. And then, you know, you really ramp up the pressure. And obviously Spain are an incredibly high possession site anyway. But for Finland, it just felt like, especially because they were trying to defend a 1-0 lead, there were just waves and waves of Spanish attack. And they had, because they were still wanting to play those long balls, um, they had like, literally like no respite, no opportunity to hold onto the ball themselves. So I think it will be interesting to see if a side like Denmark, who obviously have the kind of willing runner of Neil Harder and Senior Brun, um, and maybe a bit more of an ability to hold onto the ball, whether they can kind of combine the two tactics to cause Spain more problems. Um, but I think, you know, I I just feel like there should be some credit given to Finland because I think for even though the scoreline was kind of as bad as, as some of the others, they were a lot more impressive, I thought, than than kind of the Denmarks or the Italys that we've seen in terms of having a very obvious game plan. And it kind of felt like ultimately it just didn't really work out because of the quality difference rather than from, you know, like making a load of bad decisions or just having no real idea of what they were supposed to be doing. I do agree. I, I did feel in that match, there was a lot of occasions where I kind of just held my breath and hope, hope for the best in the Finland attack. Um, Cause I thought they got, I thought they were getting really well, like good positions in and around the box and obviously just couldn't finish it off because they don't really have the quality again to just kind of finish us off first time, for example. But Abdullah, what did you make of Jorge Villa's decision to put Irene Guerrero in for Alexia? How would you have potentially replaced the best player in the world? It's a tough one because I don't think, um, I, I mean, I think from, from what I could see on, on, on my Twitter timeline, because I'm not going to pretend like I, I, I know much about some of these players, but like from what I saw, it was, it was a bit more, it was a bit of a surprising decision to kind of play uh, Irene Guerrero there. I, I think, you know, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Laia Alexander would come in and maybe you push uh, Patria a little bit higher or, you know, you, you bring on, uh, you know, you bring on Claudia Pina, play her in a little bit more of a central role to give it a little bit more of a, t- a second touch because I think Pina maybe to a very, very, very lesser extent is probably the replacement for Alexia because the fact that she's able to push on more is a really, really good going forward. But I think, um, you know, having not watched the entire game, 
from what I what I did see and what I did read and everything, she did really, really well. I mean, she was able to really bring a little bit of balance to kind of the way the, the side played. And I think it gave uh, Aitana a lot more autonomy and it gave her a lot more uh, of a freedom to push up and rather, rather lead that midfield and kind of take Alexia. I think it was more about... Um, highlighting and promoting Aitana to become the new Alexia in, in, in a way of leading the midfield rather than Irene coming into coming into midfield and replacing Alexia completely. It was kind of shift. And that's what I thought would happen where if you don't have Alexia, you've got to basically empower uh, Patri or Aitana. And in this case, I think Aitana had a really, really good game and, and, and kind of took it forward. So it'll be interesting to see how, but now I want to see how do teams, um, someone, you know, how does someone like, um, a Germany or a Denmark, how do they now counteract this midfield? And with no Alexia there, what do they do to kind of, you know, clamp down on this midfield and kind of play their way through? Because I think that'll be the real time. I mean, Finland are good, but I think Germany and Denmark will have a little bit more of a say in that midfield battle. And, and then I think we'll really see how, how or rather whether this Alexia-sized hole is actually uh, fixed or not. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I do agree with the fact that I think Aitana is going to be Alexia's replacement in terms of on the ball and off the ball stuff. Um, she did have a very captain energy to her, um, which was quite cute. And of course, I do have to say that all four goals were dedicated to Alexia. So I thought that was really cute. Um, no, but I, yeah, I think, you know, Irene Guerrero is not going to be the replacement for Alexia. Whereas, yeah, I, I agree that Aitana will likely be the replacement and the third person in that midfield is kind of just going to try to be the Aitana replacement in a way, but it's never going to be. So you're, you're kind of just finding the best possible solution for whatever. But again, you wouldn't really bet on Jorge Vila being a very good tactician and kind of putting a player there that would suit the style play in the opponent, um, but that's a whole. We'll, we'll stay here forever. We right, talk he's about got that. Two more years. Um, two years. <laughs> yeah, don't don't remind me. Um, Jesse Mapi Leon was kind of the star here, topping defensive stats and attacking stats, especially with that assist for Aitana. Um, does she have the ability to step up and fill the spot emotionally that Alexia held in the Spain team? Yeah, I think, you know, there's obviously been a lot of talk about, um, you know, Aitana kind of technically or creatively filling the Alexia gap. But I think kind of what you've what it felt like in that game was I think Alexia, what she does within the Spain team is is not just about her like on ball ability. I think she does a lot of like taking responsibility within the team and, you know, forcing things when things maybe aren't going Spain's way. And in this game, it just felt like Mappy Leon was kind of the player who was really able to do that. I mean, I think it helped that obviously Spain found the most joy from kind of dead ball situations. And obviously, you know, she takes a lot of the corners and things like that. But um, I thought a lot of her balls into the box were, were amazing. And she also, she looked rattled at the start, I think, by those long balls over the top. There was a couple of moments where I was like, oof, like <laughs> you were maybe lucky not to get a yellow card like early on in this game. But I think... As the game went on, she kind of grew into taking responsibility there defensively as well. And, you know, I just think she's a player who's obviously, look, like, look, she's obviously a very charismatic person as well. And I just think um, it feels like maybe she can, you know, if Aitana is going to take on some of that creative responsibility higher up the pitch, maybe she can be the one who brings a bit of more of that um, mentality that that is missing now. Alexia is not in the team. 
Yeah, I do think Spain have the advantage of having two centre backs who are very um, stable in in terms of mentality and and kind of able to push the team forward. But Abdullah, Germany v Spain on Tuesday. Who's coming out winner there? Uh, tough. To, I still I still like from from the last uh, from the last episode. I still don't have a, a clear answer on this because both have played really really well. Um, I think it'll come down to if, you know, players like Clara Bull and, and Leah Schuller can, how do they come on top against, you know, Mappa Leon and the, and the rest of the rest of the defense. Um, I think I might edge it to Spain. I think I might edge it to Spain here in this game based on how they played against Finland and, you know, getting, getting that groove back. And I get it, but it comes down to can they solve that midfield issue and can Germany you know, get, you know, beats uh, and get through that, that, that Spanish defense. And, and, you know, I think there's a little bit more of a chance of Spain solving that midfield issue over Germany doing that. But then again, it could very well be that it ends up in like a two, two draw. So, you know what, actually I'm going to say it's a two, two draw. Josh, you want to have a quick go at Germany or Spain? Who's winning? <laughs> well, yesterday I said that France-Italy was going to be a 5-5 draw, and then France were actually 5 and up at half-time. So I was like, maybe it's going to happen. Um, Germany-Spain, I, I feel quite hot on Germany. I think Germany are going to win. Um, I just felt like they had the kind of swagger which maybe you think Spain are going to have again because of this Spain Barcelona thing and Barcelona have that attitude but Spain always just feel like you know the dog meme where like one dog's really strong and the other dog's like really small like I feel like the Spain team sheet is like the strong dog and then you see them actually play it they're like the small dog so um yeah I think Germany I think I'm gonna have to edge it to Germany as well I think it won't be it won't be big, but I do think that Germany's strengths um, really play into Spain's weaknesses. Um, so I think Germany can probably edge it. I, I'm saying like a one goal difference, maybe in like the last half an hour. I can see Germany getting the lead, yeah, in the last 30, 20 minutes, and Spain not really able to come back from that. Um, so that's my prediction. I don't know what the score is going to be, but I know Germany is going to win by one goal. Um, but we do have some breaking news live on the podcast. Um, the Dutch just tweeted that Sarri van Wienendal is not able to continue for the rest of the tournament because of the shoulder injury that she picked up um, against Sweden. Jesse, really quickly, a blessing in disguise. Well, potentially, yeah. I, I don't think Sarah Van Vindel's great. Uh, this does mean I assume we get to see Captain Viv Miedemar because she took the armband uh, the other night, which I th- love because she has so little captain energy to me. Um, and there are so many other Dutch players on the team on that team who I think would be more uh, captain energy, but amusing. Um, yeah, I mean, great moment for the... What's her name? I feel like I should I just keep calling her the 22-year-old goalie. Daphne Van Domselaar. Great moment for Daphne Van Domselaar. Um, I think she was, you know, she she made some big saves in that game against Sweden. I I don't know how long you can like ride on that wave, but I was joking too. I watched this game with um Flo Lloyd Hughes that you do sometimes get at tournaments these players who like take this step up and then they get like a really big move and then it turns out they were actually rubbish all along and I'm not saying that she might <laughs> she's rubbish necessarily but I did just think oh it felt like a bit like one of those moments where you know a player just goes on a run of like having four or five really really good games 
That is, yeah, that's right. I think, I think she had a few shaky moments right when she came on, but I think that was more down to the lack of warm-up rather than anything else. Because I think in the second half, she was she was very brave. And I think that's kind of what you expect in a young keeper, kind of a brave without any um, direction. But if I she doesn't she knock had, out um, her defenders, she'll be doing better than Sari Van Vienen. Let's, so. let's not get into that because that was such an awful tackle by Sari Van Vienen. That was, okay, anyway, we're, we're finally back in Group A. We're all kicked off on whatever day that was with a fairly underwhelming one for England over Austria. Abdullah, was this just a case of getting the job done for England? Yeah, I think so. I, I think, you know, we touched upon a little bit earlier, the nerves of um, the nerves of, of the first game of the tournament. It's a home tournament playing at Old Trafford. There were 65,000 plus people there. It was just, and, you know, we saw from, from the way they played, um, from the way they played that they could have scored three or four goals. I think honestly, like there was a couple of Ellen White chances that, that could have gone in. And and I think their play overall looked fluid as it could have been coming into the pressure and the way the um, the way the game the game looked. But I think the first game of the tournament, regardless of who you're playing, is get the job done, get the three points, relax into it, and then go into the second and third game doing and I mean let's be real, Austria are a really good side. Austria Austria probably you know one of this one of those you know third teams in a group where you know what you're actually going to be coming up against a team that are uh that actually have some really really class players and, and have a really cohesive and good system considering the last time they played in a major tournament they didn't actually lose they went out on penalties so you got you you went up a team that was essentially uh that didn't lose in 90 minutes they went out of penalties so i think he did a really good job coming against and i think i think that midfield in Austria is underrated i mean you got puntigam firesinger and and enza drasil who all three could make a case for getting into any top you know, top side in Europe. So I think, I think job, job done and you just move on to Norway. Yeah. I was sat at the halfway line for this match and I was just mesmerized by Sarah Zadrazil. I could not take my eyes off of her the entire match because her movement was just insanely good. The way she moves into space, but also the way that she, she'll have a defender like right on the back and her first touch will just create acres of space for her and it just doesn't make any sense half the time but I was just mesmerized by Zara um, Sadrazo and I thought she had an amazing match um, but Jesse there was a lot of good performances on this England team without being exceptional who stood out for you and who didn't yeah I was generally quite impressed by England I thought this it was kind of a, a job done approach but I thought there was plenty there that showed that they'd improved on stuff that had even actually been causes for concern in, in some of the warm-up games. You know, I think against Switzerland, the Switzerland on a number of occasions kind of showed that they could get into dangerous areas. And I thought this felt a lot more controlled. Um, I thought Millie Bright was amazing. <laughs> she literally just headed away. Every, I think she won like all of her aerial duels and it was like six or something crazy. Um, and yeah, I thought Lucy Bronze was really good. I, I thought it was interesting. Some people didn't seem very hot on Lucy Bronze, but I, I was quite impressed with her. I thought she shut down that right side really well. And I do always think when she gets into a tournament football, she kind of finds finds a new level to go to. I think in terms of who maybe didn't stand out for me, um, I felt a bit sorry for Ellen White because I thought she did some good things and some other good things. And it's hard now with Ellen White to figure out what, you know, like she had come back from COVID. These were her first minutes. And I was kind of surprised she started for that reason. Uh, and 
you know, I thought she pressed really well, but also like missed a couple of good chances. And given the season she's had, it's like, well, is that, you know, just you kind of being a bit off the pace or have you been a bit off the pace all year? Uh, and then another player who I really wanted to stand out for me, but kind of irritated me in the game was Chloe Kelly when she came on, just because I think she's obviously a very talented player, but, and and listen, Vegan made like a load of subs up front. So basically it, the front four became Rousseau, Toon, uh, Kelly and Hemp. And I think it showed how young a front four that was because I just felt all of their decision-making wasn't very collective. And I thought Chloe Kelly was maybe the worst exponent of that. And I think, you know, there's been, again, a lot of talk about England subs and how important they are. And though that change when it happened, um, and I just say, I really impressed my girlfriend because I told her the minute the change would happen and exactly who would come on. And she was looking at me like I was a wizard, which I am. So fair play. Uh, But yeah, that was like a moment where it felt like we could really force the point. Um, and, you know, maybe turn the, the like kind of 1-0 from the first 60 minutes into a, a more impressive 3-0 and it just didn't really click for them. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was like a very solid performance from everyone. I think that's fair to say. It was, it, the game did change when the subs came on, but I don't know if it was for the better or if it wasn't. But I do agree that Ellen White was had chances, but overall, I think Alessia Russo would do much better in that dynamic role. But Abdullah, Rachel Daly looks like she's probably unstarped Demi Stokes in that left back spot that was that was Jesse Redding sorry again. Alex asked me last night she was like can you make sure you don't put any like long words in and it's too early <laughs> too early for this your thoughts on Rachel Daly over Demi Stokes I'm doing <laughs> fair enough um I am gonna go and say that I think Rachel Daly at left back is a looks really really good um you know, I think for years we've been saying that Rachel Daly fullback, Rachel Daly fullback is not a thing, not a thing, not a thing. But I think you've got to remember she's not been playing fullback for at least four or five years now, you know, in and around that that time frame. So when you've got someone who's played that position for so long, you're eventually going to get good at it, right? I mean, if you if you know that this is the only position that every coach is going to play me in for whatever reason, um, I might as well get good at it. And if I want to place in this team, I've got to play that. You know when players say... I'll play anywhere on the pitch, even if it's goalkeeper. Well, I think this is the definition of um, this is the definition of of that. Where Rachel Day is like, you're a striker, but I'll play anywhere. Okay, you're playing at fullback now, and this is your chance. And I think for the way Serena wants to play, I actually think Rachel Daly is. I'm gonna go as far as saying probably the best left back for the system, just because she's got recovery pace. She knows how to attack when it's required because she's obviously a forward player for club. And I think she's just become a lot better in terms of her positioning and her and because of her movement in the forward area, she kind of then knows where to move, where not to move. And I think you can just take those skills, apply it maybe defensively and have to adjust, obviously. But the intelligence of knowing, okay, this is where the ball is going to go, this is where it should go, I think has really helped. And I think she's really grown into the role. And I think Serena Weidman's kind of given her that confidence. And I think she's given her the freedom uh, almost defensively to say, look, this is your role. If you just just carry this out, and I think you'll be perfect for it. And it's just, she's doing exactly that. So I can I can see and make a case for the fact that, yeah, I think Rachel Daly could just be the left back of the tournament, if not even at the World Cup next year as well. So, yeah, I, I like Rachel Daly. And, and you know what? If you need a striker who 
I also think Rachel Daly's the best striker for the for the for the team, objectively from the system. So it's weird where there's one player who's who can be probably be the best left back, also be the best uh, center forward, and so you know you don't get that uh, in in too many teams. So yeah, I'm really liking Rachel Daly right now. All of us that gave shit for Rachel Daly being called as fullback are, are kind of <laughs> no, but I, this tournament. I think what it shows though is the difference between management because Rachel Daly is obviously a talented player. She has played fullback previously in her career. Um, but I think under Phil Neville, it just felt like everyone was like an individual cock. So it was like, go there and play fullback, whatever fullback means to you. And that wasn't very good because she's not normally a fullback, even though she's done it before. Whereas here it feels like Serena Wiegmann's like, it's not even about going to play fullback. It's like, I want you to do this, this and this in these stages of the game and you kind of happen to stand in the place on the pitch which we would consider to be a fullback and I think that's why it feels so different under Wiegmann than than how it did under Neville. I think also having Leah Williamson next to her in a very steady starting position makes a difference because I think they actually play quite well together um, but Jesse, Austria played well and looked very organised if not particularly threatening going forward do you think they might actually cause Norway some problems? Yeah, I wrote this question and then I realized it was a bit rude to Northern Ireland because they've got to get past Northern Ireland first. Um, and Northern Ireland have drawn with them recently. So they, they might feel like this is their opportunity to, to pick up some points. But I did think, you know, Austria were very good at, you know, keeping the field very congested. I think, you know, you really saw Norway thrive off kind of how open Northern Ireland were uh, in, in the other game in Group A. And I think clearly Austria have the ability to shut down an attack. I think the only thing that maybe Norway actually have an advantage of over England is, you know, the fact that their individual talent level is so high that it feels like they have more players who can kind of do those individual take-ons. Whereas I think even though England, you know, have like the Lauren Hentz, the, the Chloe Kellys or whatever, who who can go past players, like that's nothing compared to Carolina Graham Hansen. So I feel like Norway probably still have the upper hand here, but, you know, it will be very interesting because say England, and and this is kind of dumb because well, this episode's going out today and they're playing tonight, but say England and Norway do draw tonight, they're both going to be in this position where goal difference is going to, going to be kind of what decides the group. And, you know, Norway are obviously up, on England for that at the moment, but they're going to have the, you know, more defensively difficult game against Austria, whereas England kind of get to go to Northern Ireland and then they've beaten them, you know, 6-0 recently. So, yeah, I think it will be interesting to see that Norway-Austria game because I feel like it could it could have a lot riding on it. Okay, so now we're just going to go quickly wrap up uh, the final three games from this round with a quick fire question on each. In Group D, Iceland missed a penalty and Belgium scored theirs to leave it at a one-all draw. Jesse, <laughs> this leaves Group D feeling pretty wide open, doesn't it? My Icelandic girls. Um, this was probably the um, game I got most emotionally involved in watching uh, because I just really want them to do well. Because I said that I wanted them to do well, but they also seem lovely. Uh yeah, this is like this was a big miss for Iceland because I thought they were, you know, generally much better team. Um, Svendis Dostote caused Belgium a lot of problems, uh, and I think they can take a lot of heart from that. The only thing that was really annoying was that 
Obviously, she does her long throws, but it didn't really feel like they'd planned like what was going to happen once the ball got into the box. So like everyone would just go like go for the ball, like if you drop some food for fish or something, and everyone was just like running towards it rather than having any idea of of how they maybe wanted to work that kind of set piece situation. Uh, so that was kind of annoying. Um, but yeah, I think this group's really fascinating because now you know Iceland, Belgium, and it and Italy will all feel I think they can go they can come second in that group right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that makes it. Much more exciting. Um, in Group A, Norway beat Northern Ireland 4-1. And Ada Hegerberg didn't even get on the score sheet. Abdullah, how much should teams be worrying about the Norway attack? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we saw Guru Wright and get on the score sheet. Graham Hansen, um, that, that, that attacking lineup is, is insane. Uh, and the fact that, you know, they're still trying to, I don't even say integrate, but just kind of get Ada Hegerberg used to the way of playing and, and, and getting them, you know, to be a cohesive unit. And knowing how Ada Hegerberg has done for Leon and being able to kind of play in with that sort of attack, if she can do the same thing for, for, um, for Norway, then I think it becomes a very scary uh, proposition going going forward. So yeah, I think I think the next couple of games, as they go deeper in the tournament, will be just better for Norway. That is fair. And in Group C, Switzerland threw away a two 0 lead against Portugal to draw two two, and now they've all got gastrointestinal problems. And um, for a backup on that, Abdullah clearly didn't know. And <laughs> um, Switzerland had to cancel training today because uh, players and staff had gastrointestinal problems. Um, so that's that's kind of the same as Chelsea having the shits in the Champions League. Alex reckons it's the English food. I think it's the English food but that's just me personally um so yeah switzerland um you know they have they have a few tough fixtures coming up so losing training might be a problem but maybe not but jesse this switzerland portugal 2-2 draw was pretty much the worst result for both teams right yeah, there was a point where I thought if Switzerland win and Netherlands lose, then Switzerland will probably feel really good about like maybe having a shot of going through. But now it feels like Netherlands and Sweden are basically going to go to both those games and be like, wow, we've really got to like try and outscore each other. And I think, yeah, with this like people being ill and missing training, it all feels like a bit of a... This whole lead up to the tournament and now the tournament itself, I think it's pretty much as bad as it could go for a team like you got thrashed in all your pre-match games you threw away like an amazing lead like you were literally two and up after five minutes and now everyone's sick so bad times Alicia Lehman was wise to skip the tournament I think that wouldn't have helped anything if she stayed on the team um and to quickly finish off before we sign off what games are we looking forward to the most from the next set of pictures Jesse? I'm nervous about it, but I'm excited about England, Norway. Um, what are you saying? I think England will win. Uh, but maybe I shouldn't say that because all my predictions so far this tournament have been utter shite. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm just looking forward to it because England, Austria, the weather was rubbish here. It, the game was boring. Like Old Trafford, I'm not wild about it as a stadium, I've got to be honest. Whereas we're down where I live in Brighton by the sea. It's really hot. I think the atmosphere is going to be great. It's going to be gay. We're going to be loving life. Abdullah, do you want to have a quick guess on, on who's going to win England or away? I'll say, I think, I, think England, I think England will come on top. I think 2-1, 2-1. Okay, that's fair. I'm excited for it as well, just because it's going to be a good gauge as to 
where they actually are to play against big teams in a major tournament. Um, Abdullah, what game are you looking forward to the most? I mean, seeing as England Wars will be taken, I think Germany-Spain is going to be a big one. Like we've said, it could be anyone's game. You know, I'll be... I'll be excited for whoever wins it because I think both these teams will go through uh, into the next round. But I'm just I'm excited just to see both these teams play and and just you know we see this is a quarter semifinal matchup already in the group stages. This is why it's so exciting and it'll be so much fun to watch. I'm going to go for England Norway just because I'm mostly terrified about Germany Spain. <laughs> so if we're taking the question literally, I'm excited to watch England Norway just because I don't really have any attachment to the teams, so I can actually enjoy that. Um, but yeah, that's that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to our Euros um, edition. Obviously, a little rebrand this summer. We'll be coming to you throughout the month with analysis from the games, and we'll be back next after the second set of fixtures from the group wraps. When the group wraps, um, which is on Friday. So remember that we're gonna have every um, we're gonna have episode release after each um, batch of, of group matches. So obviously two more from the group stage, and then we're gonna we're gonna have episodes in the knockout rounds as well. Make sure you're following us on Twitter to keep up with every episode release. And thank you for listening. Bye. Thank you.